learn to recite the books of the Bible, the books of the New Testament, for example. We went Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and right on. We're stopping now and talking about Acts for a while. And you might ask, and had you asked me a couple of weeks ago, what does Acts mean? I would have been tempted to say Acts of the Apostles and say that, let it go at that. I have told you before that there are times when I find a scripture that starts, therefore. It doesn't today, but there are other ways to poke me in the, in the back and say, go back and read what's the background here. In the first chapter, the apostles lose their earthly leader when, the, when Jesus returns to heaven. And the quandary unfolds as they are now leaderless, but instructed to wait. And so we join them on the day of Pentecost. Will you stand with me, please? Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The word of the Lord from the Acts of the Spirit. Thank you, Gail. That was a great introduction to that passage. Uh, thank you for bringing attention to what was going on in chapter 1. Um, I don't know if you noticed um, in all of our music this morning, it all related to the Holy Spirit. And thanks um, for your, I think it was your offertory, yeah. Spirit of the Living God, I think is how you started. And um, So for the today and then the next five weeks following next five Sundays, we'll be focusing on the Holy Spirit. And I've entitled this series, Fire Encounter, Lessons on the Holy Spirit. Today is who, and we're going to talk about that. But you may be wondering, well, why did you call this fire encounter? Um, well, the language of Scripture, it comes from the language of Scripture. It talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what uh, the, uh, John the Baptist said about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in, in, in the passage we read today, it talks about tongues of fire, uh, like t coming to rest on the heads of those who were gathered in that place when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the language of the church that we don't hear used very often anymore, but we used to talk about the fire of the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit fire, which referred to the power, the presence, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I was uh, kind of asking around this week because um, I was looking for a hymn that, uh, it's not in hymnal anymore, but I know we used to sing. And um, I was asking some of the folks who'd been in the church a while, and they said, oh yeah, I remember that song. It was called Pentecostal Fire is Falling. Do you remember that one? 
let me let me just read the first verse to you. In the book of God so precious, we are told of Pentecost. How the bless, how the blessed Lord's disciples tarried for the Holy Ghost. Pentecostal fire fell on them, burning up their sin and dross, filling them with power for service, making them a mighty host. Pentecostal fire is falling. Praise the Lord, it fell on me. Pentecostal fire is falling. Brother, it will fall on thee. Fire encounter. So why this series on the Holy Spirit? Well, first I want to share with you um, something that Herbert Lockyer wrote. I have a whole... It practically takes up a whole shelf of uh, references written by Herbert Lockyer. He was a... He was a, a, a born in uh, England. He died in Colorado Springs, actually. Um, and uh, he wrote um, this series. Basically, most of them begin with all the, all the promises of the Bible, all the women of the Bible, all about the Holy Spirit, all about Jesus, in several volumes. He said this regarding the Holy Spirit. In many cases, misconceptions concerning the Spirit and ignorance of his work are responsible for weakness and ineffectiveness in Christian life and labor. If only the Spirit could come into his own, our lives would be rich in fruitfulness and fragrant with the perfume of Christ. By realizing all that the third person of the Trinity has for us, facts of promise could become factors of power. That's from Lockyer. And then Francis Chan, in his book, Forgotten God, writes this. From my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet that there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they have experienced his presence or action in their lives over the past year, and many of them do not believe that they can. So I think it's important to talk about the Holy Spirit. And before I do, I want you to know that um, the Holy Spirit is referred to in a number of ways in the Scripture. Um, First of all, whenever you see Spirit with a capital S, all right, that's referring to the Holy Spirit, and then you'll see the Holy Spirit referred to as Holy Spirit a number of times. Or, probably in some of the more traditional translations of the Scripture, um, the Holy Spirit is translated as Holy Ghost. It's referred to as the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of Jesus, or the Spirit of Truth, or the Spirit of Glory, or the Spirit of Holiness, or the Spirit of Wisdom. Those are all referring to the Holy Spirit. And some other names that you'll find for the Holy Spirit are Advocate, Helper, and Comforter. All referring to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been promised. The Holy Spirit was promised back in the Old Testament. Isaiah 44.3 For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. A promise from the Old Testament. Another promise from the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36.27 And I will put my Spirit in you 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And in Joel 2.28, which may be one of the better known promises, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Promises of the Holy Spirit. But it didn't stop there. The New Testament. Uh, John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one, referring to Jesus, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then Acts 1.8, And this is Jesus speaking now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Promises of the Holy Spirit. And then then in the the passage that, that Gail read for us today, we see the fulfillment of that promise on what we call Pentecost. In, uh, and in fact, in the fulfillment of that promise, we see not only evidence in, in Acts chapter 2, but, well, you, you made reference to it, Gail, when you kind of close things up today, in the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God Boldly, There we see the filling of the Holy Spirit again. Acts 8, 15-17. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that were there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We're seeing the fulfillment of of the promise here. Acts 10, verses 44 and 45. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. Thank God. Us. And then Acts 13.52, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There is the fulfillment of the promises all through the book of Acts. So, actually the title of my first sermon is Who? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, He is a person. He is not a something. He is a someone. He's not a something. He is a someone. The Holy Spirit is a person. In passages like John 14, 16 and 17, 15, 26, 16, 13 and 14, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit that will come after He leaves, He refers to Him again and again as Him or he, not it. You know, some have made the Holy Spirit to be out, out to be some sort of cosmic influence or universal energy like the force in Star Wars or something. 
You cannot have a relationship with an influence or a force. Pastor and educator R.A. Torrey, who wrote Baptism with the Holy Spirit and the Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, said this, It is of highest importance from the standpoint of worship that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is a divine person worthy to receive our adoration, our faith, our love, and our entire surrender to Himself, or whether it is simply an influence emanating from God or a power or an illumination God imparts to us. We need to decide that the Holy Spirit is a person. If the Holy Spirit is a person and a divine person, and we do not know Him as such, then we are robbing a divine being of the worship and the faith and the love and the surrender to Himself which are His due. We must avoid thinking or speaking um, uh, of the Holy Spirit in the terms of, have you got it? Or do you feel it? As if you were an experience to be had or something that we get zapped with. The Holy Spirit is a person that we can have a personal relationship with. And since He is a person, He has personality. Anthropologists say that there are three attributes that make up personality. They are intellect, will, and emotion. The Scripture informs us that the Holy Spirit has all three. So that's our next point. He, the Holy Spirit, has intellect. Romans 8.27 And this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The mind of the Spirit, it says. In John 14.26, Jesus talking, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Takes intellect to do that. To begin with, because the Holy Spirit is a person, He has a mind and intellect. Intellect is one of the things that makes a person a person and separates us from the animals. These two scriptures tell us that the Spirit knows and teaches. Both knowing and teaching are signs of intellect. And when we understand that the Spirit has the mind of God, then we realize that He has intellect beyond our comprehension. The next thing that's true of a person and that's true of the Holy Spirit is that He has will. You know, with our wills, we purpose, we decide, we determine a course of action. We set our will to do or accomplish. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. In, in 1 Corinthians 12:11, regarding the gifts of the Spirit, we read, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit has a will. In Acts, we see the will of the Spirit emphasized maybe more than any other, uh, any other aspect of His personality. In fact, 
the Acts of the Apostles might be more appropriately entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Acts 8, in Acts 8.29 and Acts 8.39, the Holy Spirit commanded and relocated Philip. In Acts 10, 19 and 20, the Holy Spirit exercised authority over Peter. In Acts 13, 4, the Holy Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work to which they were called. In Acts 16, 16 and 7, the Holy Spirit constrained and redirected Paul, the Apostle. In Acts 20, verse 22, it tells us that the Holy Spirit compelled Paul to go to Jerusalem. All these are evidence that the Holy Spirit is a person who exercises His will. And then the Holy Spirit, another thing that's true of the Holy Spirit because He is a person, is that He has emotion. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, Paul lists things that should not be evident in an upright and holy life. It's one of those unsavory lists we see Paul making from time to time. And when he talks about these things, he uses wording like, put off, do not, get rid of, depending what he's talking about. Put it off, do not do this. Get rid of it. And in verse 30 he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is saying that if you do do these things that you're supposed to do not, put off, get rid of, if you do these things, if you act this way, if they are evident in your life, it grieves the Holy Spirit. The word grieve here in the Greek means an inward sorrow. It's something that goes to the heart. We sometimes say about certain things, oh, that's sad. Ever said that? Oh, that's, that's sad. We kind of give a mental assent to something that's tragic or hurtful, but it doesn't really impact us at a deeper level. We don't really feel that. What Paul is saying here is our sinful attitudes and actions cause heartache for the Holy Spirit. We might say that those things sadden the heart of God, but it is clear that these things do cause the Holy Spirit sorrow. See, the Holy Spirit is not a force or an energy. You cannot grieve something that is inanimate like a rock, or the force, or whatever it might be. You cannot grieve something that is inanimate. You can only grieve a person with feelings. The Holy Spirit has emotion. And then, He is God. He is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. 
He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is omniscient. He knows all things. The Holy Spirit has existed eternally. Because He is God. God has existed eternally. He is not a created being that shows up in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit was, is present in the Old Testament. I know we talked about promises of the Holy Spirit made in the Old Testament. That was regard to filling of the Holy Spirit. But He is present in the Old Testament. In fact, He existed before creation. He is eternal and was involved in the creative process. In Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. What's that talking about? It's talking about the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we see evidence through the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 51.11, the psalmist writes, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Isaiah 63.10-11 Yet they rebelled and grieved His, God's, Holy Spirit. So He turned and became their enemy and He fought against them. Then His people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and His people. Where is He who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of His flock? Where is He who set His Holy Spirit among them? The issue is that the Holy Spirit worked a little differently in the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament speaks of the Holy Spirit being on or upon or among. The Spirit came upon individuals for a special purpose. The, whole, the, the Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit came upon Moses. Remember um, ba- Balak, the king of Moab, and the Israelites were wanting to pe- come through, and he wanted to send Balaam, the, the seer, to, to put a curse on them. And it says... And this was not a, a, a man of God, but it says the Holy Spirit came upon them and instead of putting a curse on the people of Israel, He, he gave them a blessing. The Holy Spirit, it says, came upon some of the judges, Othniel, Jephthah, Gideon, and Samson. It says the Holy Spirit came upon King Saul. It also says the Holy Spirit left King Saul. It says the Holy Spirit came upon King David and the prophets. And it mentions various priests and Levites throughout the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit came on. And in one interesting, I think, instance, it says that the Holy Spirit filled someone with the Spirit of God, which is unusual language in the Old Testament. His name was Bezalel. Do any of you know who Bezalel was? He was a man that was set aside to make the different utensils and all the stuff that was to, to be used in the tabernacle in the desert. Here's, here's, a, here's a scripture. Speaking of Bezalel, this is Exodus 31, verse 3. 
And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kind of skills. The Holy Spirit came on Bezalel for a specific purpose, and that was to guide the the making or the construction of all that would go into the tabernacle in the desert. Well, in the New Testament, things change a little, don't they? (laughs) The Holy Spirit comes in a different way. This is good stuff. The language now is filled or received. Okay, not upon or among. It's filled or received. And it's not just for specific individuals in specific situations anymore. It's for everyone who knows Jesus. It's for all believers. I can tell you're excited about that. (laughs) Whenever He is mentioned in Scripture... The Holy Spirit is given the same honor and worship as are the Father and the Son. All the attributes of God apply to the Holy Spirit because He is God. He is not an addition to God. He is God. Now, don't ask me to explain the Trinity. I, I, I know attempts have been made. All of them fall short. There are people a lot smarter than myself who've tried to do it and, and their explanation is inadequate. It's one of those things that we have to take by faith. Listen, God is bigger than we are. It says His ways and thoughts are beyond ours. So there's going to be some things about God. In fact, probably a lot of things that we just cannot wrap our minds around. Okay? Okay? Yeah. But He is God. Um, there's a, a, a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene named Dr. Mark Fuller. He, he's a pastor of the Grove City, Ohio Church of the Nazarene. He wrote a book called Consumed, an Introduction to the Holy Spirit. And I'm kind of using his points as an outline for what I'm going to be doing in coming weeks. And I want to quote him. Um, he says this. This is regarding the Holy Spirit. His, the Holy Spirit... His is infinite intellect, perfect will, and perfect emotion. And because of this, He works in perfect concert with the will of God the Father and the work of God the Son. So, just kind of an aside here. So, a distortion we need to be cautious of is that the work of the Holy Spirit is somehow unique and different from the work of Christ. Okay? We need to be careful about that. So, um, Fuller goes on to say, Beware of any teaching on the Holy Spirit that departs from the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. They are genuinely one and the same. The Holy Spirit, in other words, is not off doing His own thing out here. Look at what Jesus said about the work of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 14. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work in perfect harmony to reveal Himself to us and His plan through us. The Holy Spirit is not just one more spiritual path to discover the meaning of life. He is the only one who can lead us to the way, the truth, and the life. He is God Himself revealed to us. 
And finally this, to kind of wrap up lesson number one. Some mistakenly believe that the Holy Spirit is the power of God that shows up only at certain times and on certain occasions. Like, you know, in revivals and healing services. You know, things like that. But Jesus promised in Matthew 28:20, And surely I am with you always. Yeah, we know that. Even to the very end of the age. If we believe Jesus' great commission to go into all the world and make disciples, that it applies to us now as, it, as, it, as much as it did to his disciples then, then it stands to reason that the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is as necessary today as when the day when Jesus gave that command. Listen, we cannot fulfill the Great Commission without the work of the Holy Spirit. It just won't happen. Jesus also said in John 16, 7, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now, just put yourself in the place of the disciples for just a moment. How can it be good that Jesus is going away? Wouldn't you be thinking that? I would. Wait a minute. How can that be good that you're leaving us? I mean, what could be better than God come to live among us in Christ? What could be better than that? Well, just a few weeks later, on Pentecost, as we heard this morning... Jesus' promise came true. And in Acts 1.5 it says, again, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that came true. Then the realization, or at least I think they had this realization, the God who came to live with us in Christ now lives in us by His Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus was here in the flesh, the disciples could go one place and Jesus could go another, and they weren't together anymore. But now, since the filling of the Holy Spirit, wherever the disciples go, Jesus is with them in the person of His Holy Spirit. What a great deal. God has always wanted an intimate, personal relationship with us, with mankind. Adam and Eve had that, but they sinned, they blew it, they disobeyed, they broke that relationship. They became separated from God, and humanity has experienced that separation ever since. Yet God began immediately to span that gap, to try and close that separation up. In the Old Testament it says He spoke to us through the prophets. He's reaching out to us now. And then in the fullness of time, He clothed Himself in the flesh of humanity and revealed Himself as the Son, Jesus Christ. God has now moved even closer because He's living right next to us. He lived with humanity. He walked alongside humanity. He suffered and died for humanity. But guess what? God took a step even closer now. At Pentecost, He revealed Himself as the blessed Holy Spirit and the God who walked with us 
had now come to live in us. The intimacy that was broken in the garden could now be restored through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Yay, God! Um, we're gonna, I think we'll sing this song to close. I was, I was thinking about just reading the words, but that just won't do it. And I don't know the last time we, I sang this song. It's called He Abides. You guys remember, some of you remember that. We're going to sing, uh, I think, three verses of He Abides. Yes. I'm going to. like to use that. Go ahead and stand. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way for the hand of God in all my life I see and the reason of my bliss, yes the secret of all this, that the comforter abides with me. He Rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way, for the Comforter abides with me. Once my heart was full of sin, once I had no peace within, till I heard how Jesus died upon the tree. Then I fell down at his feet, and there came a peace so sweet, now the Comforter abides with me. He abides, he abides. means, don't you? He abides with... An abode is some place where you live. You abide in an abode, and He lives in us. Yay! Well, we could not make it otherwise, could we? Well, we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit next week. So come back for part two of six, all right? We're going to keep looking at the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your attention. God bless you with his grace and peace as you go this morning.